Just three words I'll draw to your attention as we begin. They're kind of religious words. Consolation, redemption, salvation. Consolation, redemption, salvation. Big, big words. You'll find them all in the Gospel reading. And I bet when I say those words, consolation, redemption, salvation, I don't think any big alarm bells go off in your heart like, that is so great. I bet they sound like kind of religious words, like, wow, that's a very churchy word, and I don't know what it means, but it sounds important. By the way, while we were reading that passage from uh, the Gospel of Luke, you'll almost only hear that passage read like once every decade in the Episcopal Church. <laughs> Not because it's a bad reading, but because it's only read really on this February 2nd, which is the day of the presentation of Jesus in the temple. <laughs> what you don't know about, but I'm going to tell you about. The day of the presentation of Jesus in the temple. It's 40 days after Christmas. We celebrate this presentation 40 days after Christmas, February 2nd, when they presented Jesus in the temple. And those two uh, people are talking about Jesus once he's in the temple. The parents bring the child in, and Simeon meets the baby, and Hannah, or Anna, meets the baby. By the way, it says she was really old at 84. Gloria, I do not think that's old at all. <laughs> we have our own Hannah in our midst right here. <laughs> So those three words are pretty interesting words, though. Consolation, redemption, salvation. You'll find them all in that reading. And both Simeon and Anna, they say, Jesus, this child, is going to be the one that brings consolation to Israel, redemption to Jerusalem, and it'll bring salvation to the people. But I wanted to think about those words more concretely so that when you leave today, not because you want a Bible study, but because this is important, that you know exactly all the good news that is being brought to us and brought to those people by this child who will grow up to be Jesus. So, for instance, I'm going to do a, a bit of jumping around in the Gospel of Luke today to help illustrate what these three words might mean. Because in the Gospel of Luke it says, Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it'll say in the Magnificat, the poor he has filled with good things, the hungry he has filled with good things, but the rich he has sent empty away. So if you are a poor person, now this is a Bible test, but you can pass it. If you are a poor person, what do you think consolation, redemption, and salvation would mean to you? Let's just say you're having trouble paying the rent. Or you're having trouble with uh, paying for a medication. Or you're having trouble with some food, getting enough to eat. What do you think it would feel like to be consoled? What would it mean to be saved? What would it mean to be redeemed? I'm going to suggest, I'm going to answer the question for you. 
So fill in your blanks on your quiz. For a poor person to be consoled when the rent is due means they can make the rent on time. For a poor person who needs food and they come to St. Andrew's Food Pantry and they get some food when they couldn't have had it otherwise, they would say, I've been redeemed. If they can't pay for their prescription but they find a way to get some more money to pay for the medicine, they would say, oh, I've been saved. Wouldn't you? You see, religion isn't all that complicated. <laughs> if you're poor and you need those things and you get them, you say, Thank you, Jesus. Do you not? Thank you, Jesus. I got some food. I got some rent. I got some medicine. Thanks be to God. I've been consoled, and I've been saved, and I've been redeemed. But there are other stories in the Gospel of Luke that will also illustrate what these words mean. There was a story about some lepers, meaning they had a skin problem, so they were sick, and because they had this illness, almost like the virus that's taking off in China, and they're having to quarantine lots of people, well, these lepers were seen in the same light as the people being quarantined in China. They were separated apart from the people. They had to walk around with a bell on their clothing and ring the bell, because when you heard the bell, you knew not to go near them, because they were contagious. Just a horrible state to be in. You're sick with some kind of a skin disease, a leprosy, and you can't be with your family anymore. You cannot be in synagogue anymore. You have to hang out with only these other people who are lepers. So Jesus calls them over. He heals them. They're healed of their disease, and they can return now to society. That. If that happened to you, you would say, thank you, Jesus. I have been consoled. I have been redeemed. I have been saved. I've been healed of my illness, and I get to go back and be with my people. That would be great. Something like that happened to me a long time ago. Not exactly the same, but I'll share it with you, because at the time this happened, I felt like I had been consoled and redeemed, and I thought I'd been saved, and I said, thanks, Jesus. It was a long time ago, but I was a clergy person down in Corpus Christi, Texas, brand new clergy, early 30s, so you know how long ago that was, early 30s, and I went through a divorce. And because I went through the divorce, it was in the contract that I had to leave my employment. And then when I had to leave the employment, then I had to leave the house I was living in because they were, the church owned the house. Wow. So now I'm unemployed and without a house, and I've been divorced. And I felt a little bit like a leper. Like a clergy person who gets divorced? It happens, I know, but I thought I would never be that person. <laughs> I thought I'm way too smart and I'll work way too hard and I think this relationship is great and it's going to work, I just know it, and then suddenly I'm divorced like that and I don't have a house and I don't have a job and I don't have a wife. And a clergy friend of mine in Corpus Christi said, well, I used to go to his church 
He didn't really know who I was. I would hang out in the back. You people in the back, I know you. <laughs> You're the people who are like really nervous about being here. Because I was really nervous about just attending an Episcopal church again. I, had a, I got another job, and I just tiptoed into the back row and prayed nobody would see me. And then I'd rush out right away because I didn't want to talk to anybody. I was so distraught and depressed about the whole situation. And then I met the preacher guy, and we became friends. Eventually, he hired me as an assistant in the church. And I would go over to his house after church. There's nothing worse than being alone on Sunday after church. He'd say, well, come over to my house, and my wife, Diana, will make some uh, lunch for us. And we sit around and watch baseball games, and we watch a golf match if it was on, and we watch a football game. I became really close with the family, and then I had nowhere to go on Thanksgiving and Christmas. They invited me in. I spent more Christmases with the Stringers and, and their kids, and they adopted me into the family. And I can tell you, he gave me a new job and a new start and a new life. And I can say, thank you, Jesus. I have been consoled. I have been redeemed. I have been saved. Sometimes, though, there are other situations in life where you just kind of screwed up. You just... you. You don't have to be a brain surgeon to figure out that human beings are not perfect. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody falls short of their own expectations at some point in their life. Everybody says, gee, I wish I hadn't done that. Which is exactly what happened to another story in the Gospel of Luke. It's a story of a two people. Actually, it's a parable. Jesus says two people went up to the temple to pray, and one of them was a Pharisee who never does anything wrong, and another one was a tax collector who does everything wrong. A tax collector was a person who was collaborating with the Roman army to go get money from the Jewish people. So he's like a turncoat. He's like a Benedict Arnold. He is consorting and he is collaborating with the oppression of the Roman Empire against his own people. And he goes to get money from them, and he gives it to the Romans, and he takes some for himself. The tax collector looks up to heaven at the temple, and he says, he won't even lift his eyes up to, up to the sky or up to God, and he says, woe to me, a sinner. And the Pharisee says, well, at least I'm glad I'm not like the tax collector guy. And Jesus says, I tell you that it is the tax collector who went back to his house forgiven because he was just humble and broken and he confessed his faults before God. He went home forgiven and the very righteous Pharisee did not. He just goes home. <laughs> so when you finish your confession, we're gonna do, we always say our confession in church, and it's not meant to be you know, oppressive. It's just meant to be honest that sometime during the past week or however long you've been here, it's like, you know, I really didn't do that thing right that I wanted to do, and I, I would like to just say, God, I, I really messed that up. And Jesus will say to you, just like he said to the tax collector, you will go home to your house forgiven. 
When you feel like you're guilty and you feel like you're unworthy and you feel like so small in your own eyes and so defeated in whatever you're trying to do, and you, you believe the gospel that says you will go home forgiven, then you can say, thank you, Jesus. I swear I, I am consoled. My soul is consoled. I feel redeemed, and I have been saved. So you see, consolation, redemption, salvation, those are beautiful words. And they all have to do with what God is doing in this world and what God does through Jesus. A final story from the Gospel of Luke, or pick any of the Gospels you want. Jesus has been killed. They go to the tomb, and they see the stone rolled away, and the tomb is empty. And the people who saw the empty tomb, they said to themselves, man, I guess death is not as bad as I thought it was going to be. I don't know anybody in this room, by the way, who is not, if they're going to be honest, just a little bit afraid of dying. Nobody knows exactly what's on the other side. And you can, I, you know, I'm a preacher guy. I celebrate Easter, but still I'm like, man, that's going to be a little nervous. When I take my last breath or I'm about to take it, I don't know. But when I hear the story of the empty tomb and the stories of the risen Christ, and I can say to myself, I think the transition from this life to the next is not as bad as I thought it could be. Then I can say, thank you, Jesus. I've been consoled. I have been redeemed and I have been saved. See, a lot of times people think church and going to church and these big words like consolation, redemption, salvation. You see, them, you see the last one written on different places, people graffiti. They say, Jesus saves, or have you been saved? If I'm a poor person and I can pay the rent when I didn't think I could, by God's grace, I say, yes, I've been saved. If I've been outcast and I've been cut off from my community, but I get re reconciled, like I felt like I had been when I was being restored as a priest. Someone says, have you been saved? I said, yes, I have, ma'am. When I say confession, and I say, I am so sorry, God, I did this and that and the other thing, and I hear the words of the absolution that says, the Lord forgives you your sin, go in peace. And I take a deep breath, and I say, have I been saved? Oh, yes, I have been saved. I've been forgiven. And when I get to the last part of my life, and I wonder what life after death might be, and I hear the story of the empty tomb, and I take a deeper breath, and I say, okay, I know death is not as final as it looks on the surface. People say, have you been redeemed and saved and consoled? I say, oh, yes. Because it's not just about being forgiven of sins, redemption, and salvation, and the consolation that Jesus brings is about a wholeness of life. 
It's about putting things back together and being restored and being made free in lots of ways. It's about overcoming the fear of death. It's about real life in this world when you're poor and you get saved. It's about community when you've been cut off and you get reconciled and brought back in. Yes, it's about being forgiven. In all those ways, in all those ways, yes, that baby Jesus grows up. He becomes the source of redemption, and salvation, consolation. Now you and I, we are disciples of Jesus. You will walk in his ways. You will become like he is in this world. And through you, God will bring more salvation, reconciliation, and consolation to this world. Through you and your work in this world, your life in this world, your presence in this world, you will become a blessing to this world. Just like I tell those kids when they come up here for the blessing, I said, remember, you are good and you are a blessing to this world, and God will bless you while you're here today. At the end of this sermon, I want you all to know, yes, you are good, and you will be a blessing to this world. God will bring the world consolation through you, and redemption through you, and salvation through you. And yes, God will bless you while you're here today as well. So consolation, redemption, salvation, they're not just religious words. They have real concrete meaning and real concrete effects in our life. God gives those three things to you freely, and you will take them out into the world and be a source of consolation to people. You will be a source of redemption to people. And yes, you will help people be saved. Because it's not just a religious word. It's a word about our life. I offer this to you in God's name. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.